we hear about um, a lot of promises floating around today, don't we? We hear about promises every time we flip on the TV. The political ad comes on, right? We're getting ready for all the midterms, and we hear all the people saying, well, I'm promising to do this, and I'm promising to do that. We, We get promises from people in relationships, right? We get promised the moon when we buy that next latest and greatest thing, everything from how white your teeth will be if you use our toothpaste, to the best places to live, the best cars to drive. And, you know, some of them are true. Some of them, not so much. Some of them are made with the best of intention, and some of them, frankly, have no intention at all. Did you know that? Very interesting. But what we're going to talk about today is actually more than a promise. Here we go. I now have control, don't I? Did that flip on the screen while I did it? Okay, good. We're playing with some more equipment here, guys. And, and I'm going to talk today a little bit about covenant because that's a little bit different than promise. You know, when we talk about promise, um, there's so much to it today that's so different than when we talked about promise a few years back. So I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me. And we're going to start in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife with him, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. And Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east... There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. May God add to his word this morning. It's the word of God for the people of God. And can we all say together, thanks be to God. Amen. You know, 20, 30 years ago, things were much simpler. I'm now old enough to say that. I went up. This last year, well, a few months ago, when I uh, did a memorial service for a friend of ours, and uh, his wife says to me, uh, you know, I was talking to so-and-so, and they asked about how you knew us, and I said, oh, really? And I told him that we had been friends for over 30 years. And I think my heart stomped a little bit right there, and I might have quit breathing for a second, Because I wasn't sure, even just now as I say it, that I'm old enough to have friends that I've known for over 30 years. But when you go to work at McDonald's at 16, and you're now 49, 
You've had friends that you've known outside of your family, you know what I'm saying, for over 30 years. And I'm telling you, years, 20, 30 years ago, things were simpler. Things were simpler. We had it so much easier. When we spoke to each other and communicated the meanings of words, they were a lot different. I mean, let's be real. The words just weren't as interchangeable as they are today. They meant something. When did we exchange the thought of I believe for I think? Today we say, well, I think this. I think lots of thoughts. But until maybe I dwell on that thought and study that thought and maybe ask some other people to think about that thought, I may not believe it. There's a difference. But somehow we exchange those words. And our word promise, it's not the same. Promise gets used for a whole lot of other things. Promise gets used for I intend to. If there's any way possible for me to, I will. That's another way we say I promise, right? It seems like that word gets thrown around and put aside and not honored, but what was between God and Abraham, we call it a promise, but it really truly is so much more. It's really a covenant. We first meet Abraham. He's called Abram in the book of Genesis. He's the forefather of the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, and ultimately he is the father of the church. Human ancestor of Jesus the Messiah. Romans chapter 4, 16, uh, God and Abraham intersect. Ah. Oh, I have lost things here. Hold on. I can see it up there, but I can't see it down here anymore. That's great. That'll work. Okay. The father of us all. Think about that for a minute. I'm not Jewish. Oh, I had one of my aunts who did one of those things where, you know, you spit in a tube. You know what I'm talking about? What 23andMe or Ancestry.com or what? DNA. That's what I'm thinking of. She and so get the, I got a call from my mom here. I don't know. This is like a couple years ago. And she says, uh, Danny, my family calls me Danny. At one point in time, I was little and skinnier. And so I was Danny, you know. Um, and, and she says, Danny, uh, Aunt Linda just got this thing back from this. And, and uh, our, my mother's side of the family, there is, it's 1% Jewish. And so since I'm more Jewish than you're Jewish, uh, I'm closer to Jesus. You have to listen to me. Mom, I don't think that's how it works. Oh, yes, it is too how it works. <laughs> but you know what? Abraham is called the father of us all. Paul, when he's writing the letter to the Romans, specifically to the Gentiles, right? Because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. When Paul's writing this, he's, he's, he's saying, you're part of the family. You're part of the chosen and so we call him the father of us all. Because back in Genesis, God intersects with this guy named Abram. And he's in the land of his fathers. And he calls Abram to leave his home, to leave his family. And by the way, they must have been successful. It must have been a good place to live because they had servants and they had uh, livestock and they had possessions and they had all of this, you know, land that was already theirs. And what does he do? God says, I want you to go travel to this place you've never seen before. 
I don't know. I think if I was Abram, I would have said, may I see a piece of ID, please? Can I see your driver's license? I want to know what's going on here. But he doesn't. He has faith in God. There's this covenant made between God and Abraham, not that Abraham would just be the father of a nation, not just that he would have a lot of descendants and his descendants would be saved, but that the entire human race would be saved through him. And later on, God iterates his descendants. And it all starts with a promise. This promised land was something. God began with Abraham. And as, as Abraham was following God, he leaves his home and he goes to this place where God has called him to. Genesis chapter 15, 18 through 21 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river to the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I practiced that part if you couldn't tell. Multiple times this week. God gives his descendants this land and he makes this covenant. We don't really hear that word very much anymore. I mean, it's not a word we used often. If you're part of a homeowner's association, you might have a neighborhood covenant that tells you how many bushes you can plant out front and that you can't have a vehicle parked in front of the house, you know. It might uh, limit how you can use your property. It's a formal agreement where the person who purchases the land covenants to abide by certain restrictions. But from a biblical perspective, a covenant's a bit more serious. A little more serious than how you might use your land or having a vehicle parked out front or whether or not you paint your house purple with pink polka dots. Although I've seen that one. And I think there need to be covenants about painting your house purple with pink polka dots. When we lived in Moscow, it was, yeah. And don't get me wrong. It wasn't like they just threw the paint up there. It was very professionally done. It just stuck out and it didn't fit. Wasn't that pretty? But a covenant that we talk to, talk about um, in religious ways is a little different. It's a little more important. It's an oath-bound promise. One party solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specified way. And sometimes the keeping of the covenant depends on the meeting of certain conditions to whom the promise is made. Or it can be just a one-sided covenant. Think about the rainbow. The Noahic covenant where God says to Noah, I am no longer going to destroy humanity. I will no longer wipe out creation with water. Here's a rainbow. Here's the symbol of my covenant. I'm never going to do that again. On other occasions, covenants are made where both parties have some ends to uphold. The Mosaic Covenant, most of us know that as the Ten Commandments. There's something on both sides. Deuteronomy 5.1 says, Hear, Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. 
The Hebrew children were expected to learn them and follow them. God gave them, and he expected them to follow them, and guess what? He expects you and I to follow them too. I had somebody recently tell me, oh, we don't have to follow the Ten Commandments. My first reaction was, are you insane? Are you insane? Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments in two to make it easier for us because we struggled with the ten when we separated them out as ten. So he said, let me make it easy on you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And this one is just as important as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, then some smart mouth lawyer, well, he was a Pharisee, says, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus had a lot more patience than I did because I'd be like, are you kidding me? But then we get, this, we, we get the parable of the Good Samaritan, which when you understand the implications of that, you really understand Jesus saying, um, if they are a human being, they are your neighbor, whether you know them or not. But the Mosaic Covenant, we still follow that. The covenant idea, the concept of covenant is a central unifying theme of Scripture. It establishes and defines God's relationship to humanity throughout all of the ages. Not just the Old Testament. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. This isn't just a history thing we need to know about. Because God lives in covenant with us. And the question we've got to answer today is, do we live in covenant with Him? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated covenant is berit. And the term derives from the verb bara, which means to bind. And the noun, when you use it as a noun, it talks about a binding relationship between two parties in which each pledge something, some kind of service for each other. Oops. And that gets me to my first point. Look at that. I made it through the introduction. You guys packed your lunches, right? You did, right? Okay. We got a little lunch in the, in the fellowship hall afterwards, right, Lisa? So we might be covered if you didn't. The God of the Bible is a God who makes promises, and he keeps those promises through covenants. All the way through Scripture, there are covenants, one after another, after another, after another, after another. Sometimes when we hear covenant, we think of contracts. We, we think about legalese and paperwork in triplicate. I don't know why. Why was it always in triplicate? There's probably some reason somewhere they did things in triplicate, right? Contract after contract. But you know what? We don't really talk about covenants and contracts like that. That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about something that goes beyond just a piece of paper signed by two people. And a contemporary example of that is marriage. Most of us understand marriage, the ceremony. There's cues for people to come down the aisle, for different things to happen. People dress differently. There's language and symbols, and it all speaks towards the union of a couple. One of those things that's very interesting and I love using is called the unity candle. Usually at the beginning of a marriage ceremony before the bride tromps down the aisle. Oops, did I just say that? I meant before the bride gracefully walks down the aisle, right? Mom and the mom of the bride and the mom of the groom, they usually come up and they light these small little candles 
that sit on either side of a large candle. And those two little candles represent the family of origin of the bride and the groom. And when comes time in the ceremony, the bride and the groom go up and they take up their family's candle and they use it to light the center candle and the two become one. The two flames become one. You can't, on that center candle, separate out the flame into the bride's side and the groom's side. They make a flame together. It's just one part of the ritual we call a marriage ceremony. These covenants, like we see between God and Abraham, use symbolism to depict the agreement and the commitment between the two parties. Covenants are more than contracts. They are relational. That's the second point I want to make today. When we are in covenant with God, it's more than just a contract. Salvation is more than fire insurance. Right? I got to tell you, as a teenager, growing up in the churches I grew up in, man, I went to the altar for fire insurance. I did. I did. Repeatedly went to the altar to make sure I had my fire insurance up to date. My policy was up to date. I kind of had that little backwards, didn't I? You know what? Because of Abraham's faith in God, God makes a promise to Abraham. He binds it in a covenant. This is relational. It's relationship. God's promise to Abraham is the promise to redeem his creation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is a descendant of Abraham. Think about the account in the story. Most of us here remember it today. The, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Do you remember that? God asks Abraham to take Isaac and go sacrifice him up on the mountaintop. Oh, you know, being a dad and a grandpa, I don't know. Abraham had faith, though, that was, that was so strong that what did he do? They got the wood, they got everything together, and him and Isaac set out. And it was a few days' journey, and a couple of times Isaac says, Hey, Dad, we got the wood. Hey, Dad, we've got everything we need for... Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, don't worry, son. God, God will provide the sacrifice. Well, you get a little further in that story to the end of that story. And in Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord called Abraham from a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the city of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You see, Abraham took Isaac up there to sacrifice. What happened? As he's raising up the knife to do it, he put, he put Isaac on the altar. He bound Isaac up. And he's just about ready to come down. And the angel of the Lord says, Stop, Abraham, stop. Don't do this. Don't do this. This is not what I want. And there's a ram stuck over in the bushes. And they sacrificed the ram instead. Abraham had to exercise a lot of faith and a lot of obedience that day because remember, he was like a hundred years old before Isaac was even born. Now I'm 49. I'm about halfway to the age Abraham was, and I couldn't imagine having kids at 49. I remember a couple years back going to like my 20 year class reunion or something. 
maybe it was, sorry, my tenure, I can't remember which one it was, but I went back, and my wife and I, we had teenagers, and all the rest of my friends were having their second babies, and we were like in our mid-30s. I'm like, this is insane. How do you do the late nights? How do you do all the diapers and the bottles and the chasing and the running and the everything else? My kids, are, they're in school. They can feed themselves after baseball practice, a snack or whatever. You know, we had already gotten to that point in life where we didn't have to worry about all that stuff. Abraham and Sarah were 100 years old. And God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. He exercised a lot of obedience, and because of that obedience, God looked at the faith that Abraham had in him and credited it to him as righteousness. Wow. The promise is that through Abraham and now his descendants, all the peoples of the earth, all of humanity will be blessed. And the promise focuses first on God's own special commitment to Abraham, but then it, it, through his descendants. And, it, and it, you, you may think that God's promise to Abraham was like this narrow, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to bless you. And anybody who blesses you, they're going to be blessed. And if they curse you, they're going to be cursed. Remember, we read that at the first part of the thing. But now... Now it's blown wide open. All of the nations are going to be blessed through not just Abraham, but all of his descendants. You and I are grafted in. We're part of the descendants. Did you know that? If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, and if you are following him, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you are stepping closer to God, if you are working on that deeper walk with him, you are one of his descendants. And by the way, we need to be out there blessing, by the way, because God's blessing comes to other people through us. You are part of this. And that's my last point this morning. We will find rest in God's promise of being his people when we live in covenant with him. Remember, remember that Abraham and his people, Moses comes along and the Ten Commandments, and then we have some responsibility, right? Learn and follow. We got to learn and follow. Isn't that what Jesus says? Come, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus says the same type of thing. Paul says it very well in his letter to the Romans. In chapter 11, he says this, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation into this world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough is offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Jesus talked about that. Paul kind of took off a little shoot on that. Remember, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much, what? Fruit. Right? Paul's telling the Romans here that, hey, guess what? You're in. You don't have to be Jewish. I wish, I, I need to tell mom that. Maybe she's watching this morning. Hey, mom, I don't have to be Jewish. It'd be awesome to be, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It would be awesome to be, but I don't have to be. God's covenant was absolutely clear. 
we're in. We're part of the family. We can rest in that because we're part of the family. Now, God didn't say any of this was going to be easy. God didn't say it's going to be without danger or pitfall. In fact, if you look at the story of the Hebrew children, the whole thing with the promised land, boy, howdy. And guess what? We are thousands of years later, and it's still not resolved. I used to jokingly uh, tell a friend of mine that when I get to heaven, I got some questions I want to ask. I want to ask Adam, while Eve was standing there chewing on that apple, why didn't you tell her, spit that out of your mouth? What are you doing? I wanted to ask him that. I want to ask Abraham why he thought having Ishmael was a good idea. I want to know what he was thinking. And my friend told me, he told me this. He says, Pastor Dan, you're not going to need to ask that. I said, huh? What? Really? Are you sure? He says, no, no, no. You're not going to need to ask that because the Bible says we will know as we are known. Right now we look through this foggy glass, this misty, but then we're going to see just like there's nothing in between us. Your mind will be transformed when you hit heaven. You won't have to ask the question. You'll know. Well, I still might do it anyways. Just, you know. You know, you look at Ishmael and Isaac, and what we see over in the Middle East is this ages, ages long sibling rivalry, which the Bible told us was going to happen. And I just want to look at Abraham and go, really? Why? We've got prospects of death and suffering and enslavement. But God had sworn to Abram, Abraham, that his descendants would receive the promises. And so Israel is encouraged by this. By the time we catch up to them at the Exodus, subsequent times of distress, they would be encouraged, just like you and I are encouraged, that there isn't anything that's going to separate us from the love of God. Oh, I know. Right now, things don't look the greatest. It seems like every time I turn around, I've got one Christian friend yelling at another Christian friend. It doesn't seem like we're very loving at the moment. I've got all sorts of people that I know that are like, you Christians are terrible. Pastor Jerry said something about, I love Jesus, but not the church. And he said something about that last week. And you know what? I have to be honest with you. I'm tired of people picking on the bride of Christ. We got to do better. You and me, we got to do better. It's not going to be easy all the time. Abraham had a part to play. It wasn't without action and living that his family would follow God. They had to institute the rite of circumcision. Just like our wedding rings and, and other things are symbols which remind us about our commitment to each other, circumcision became a symbol of the covenant that set Abraham and his people apart from other nations and apart specifically for God's use. For God to work through, right? 
It formed a sign. It was a sign. Noah had a rainbow. Moses, he had the Sabbath. They are all reminders of the covenants which God made with him, reminders of his promise and that he would keep his promise. The rainbow is a reminder to God. Circumcision and Sabbath are reminders to both God and Israel, indicating that Israel belongs to the Lord. Circumcision and Sabbath were community obligations. And when they practiced them, it distinguished the community as a member of the covenant. Through doubt and fear and tests of faith, God sustained Abraham and showed himself faithful to his promises. And today, God's solemn covenant through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us the ultimate fulfillment of his promise. We serve a God who promises the blessing of an abundant eternal life, and he binds himself to us in holy covenant. And I want to leave you with this this morning. I want you to ask yourself this this morning. Are you living up to your part of the covenant? Are you living into the life that God has called us? Are you living into the calling that God has put on your life when he tugged at your heartstrings and said, I want you to be one of my children? And you said, yes. Sometimes we don't know what we're getting ourselves into, do we? When we say yes. But you know what? God is faithful to complete the work that he starts in you. So when we submit to him and say, yes, God, I'm yours. He does the work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, today we are a people who have come together to worship you and to praise you. But Lord God, I can tell you we are getting tired. I'm tired. Our family is tired. We're kind of a little ragged. Things haven't been going on so great down here. But mostly, Father, we come to you today and we want to set aside all of our tiredness and all of our worries and troubles. And Lord, we want to ask your forgiveness. And we want to repent and turn away from not living into the covenant which you have made with us. Lord God, you loved us so much that from the beginning of time, you put into place a plan to redeem us. And we see that redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus, your son, your only begotten son. So that you could maintain this covenant to save us from the perils of sin and death. But Father God, we fall short many times. We fall short. And so today, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. We give to you our repentance. And we ask that you would continue to do that deeper work within us. Lord God, our desire is that you would work through us in your kingdom, that people would be blessed 
through us because we are your children. But the only way that happens is if we submit to you 100% of our lives. Lord God, that we would submit to you the relationship we have with our spouse today. That we would submit to you the relationship we have with our children today. Lord God, that we would submit everything that we are, the relationships that we have with our families, the relationships we have with our neighbors. Lord God, we want everything that we are submitted to you so that you can work through us to bless those around us. Help us, Lord God, in everywhere that we go, that we would take you with us that we would immerse those around us in your presence, in your Holy Spirit. Jesus, that your message of forgiveness and grace and love would be understood through us so that you would have glory, so that you would be lifted up. Lord God, we pray that your kingdom would be here right this very moment on earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, that you would work in and through your people to change this world today. We believe that you can. And we believe that you will. Guide us and direct us, O Lord. Help us to inquire of you when we need to inquire of you. Hear our cry, Lord, that you would speak to us and guide us in all things. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen.